This is Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Mission, to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hi, this is Jordan Rich. I was very honored to attend the annual Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition Symposium on May 10th was a full slate of seminars and discussions on a wide variety of important subjects, ranging from treatment, testing, symptoms, and side effects to advocacy and support. The event was a huge success with the most attendees to date. I sat in on many groups and had the chance to chat with many people to offer podcast listeners a sense of the symposium. First up, Mark Anthony Hunter, owner of the Goddard School in Middleton. Mark will talk with us in just a moment about the upcoming golf tournament sponsored by the Goddard School, proceeds benefiting the work of the Prostate Cancer Coalition and more. But I also talk with Mark about the impact of prostate cancer on Mark's dad and not only how it affected his father, but how it affected him. You know, my father suffered from prostate cancer. Um, he got it, probably was diagnosed in his, late, in his mid-60s. Mm-hmm. And he went through all those stages that we heard about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So he went through the depression. He went through trying to figure out what to do, whether it be surgery or radiation. And his concern, like many men, right, was the side effects, was the incontinence, was the um, erectile dysfunction. And seeing him kind of going through that battle and eventually making a decision to have surgery and have his prostate removed was interesting for me, right? So this is like the first time any of my parents really suffered from any kind of serious illness. Um, later on, ironically, that same year, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so seeing that and seeing the, um, the effects that it had on him, particularly after having the surgery and going through incontinence and going through erectile dysfunction, he did get depressed. Um, and I feel that was a catalyst to some of the other challenges he had later on. And so knowing that you know, African-Americans, um, the mortality rates for prostate cancer are significantly higher than others, um, I, I feel a need to learn more about it. I felt the need to learn more about it and support the cause as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Certainly you're supporting what happens to men at your father's age, but you have to be concerned, as we all are, about getting older and, and the risk factors. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, one, being African-American, two, having a family history um, is a major concern of mine, um, knowing that now that I am 40 or just the, now 41, you know, making sure that I'm doing my checks, um, finding out what my PSA levels are, is something obviously I never thought I had to be concerned of, but now that I'm here, it's something that I'm focused on. It's something that I'm, you know, it's a major concern of mine as well. We, we talk a lot about the importance of knowledge and the fight against anything, and right. you're in the education business, <laughs> yes. we, as we know. Has this changed your outlook on not only the disease, but the pioneers who are fighting it? I mean, what, what have you gleaned from being part of this organization? So one, uh, you know, what drew me to this organization more so than anything else is its advocacy for families because that oftentimes get missed right so i mean a lot of a lot of organizations are focused on the patients which makes a lot of sense right because that's you want to make sure that you're there to support them but their families um, are also very important stakeholders and having uh, an understanding of how to support a family member who's going through prostate cancer is important and how uh, you know whether you're talking about a spouse or a child how they should respond in terms of their own emotional Um, distress that they might be feeling seeing their loved one kind of go through that and so you know my background I'm in education now but my background has always been in healthcare so I've worked for pharma companies diagnostic companies medical device companies on the sales and marketing side 
and I see, I've seen all over the world some of the struggles that patients go through when, it, when they're diagnosed with these types of diseases. Um, and so for me, um, you know, working with an organization that only that, that focuses um, on the patient, but also their, their uh, supporting network, um, it was something I definitely wanted to be a part of. You mentioned depression, and oftentimes people have the assumption that, well, men are just concerned about erectile dysfunction or incontinence, two major issues, but mm -hmm. depression is such a huge piece of this problem, isn't right. it? Right, it is. As young men and eventually older men, a lot of our manhood is, or the way we view ourselves, um, stems from, for lack of a better word, our ability to perform. And so when that is taken away, you, you kind of question some of the, um, at least for my father, you kind of just question, um, you know, where you are in life, you know, as you're coming closer to the end. Um, and that can lead to, you know, being depressed. And I think that's what happened with my father. Uh, he suffered um, through depression for a short period. And eventually the incontinence got better um, and he started to see the bigger picture. Um, his health started to get a little better. Um, and he was able to come out the other side, come through the other side. But a lot of men who don't have that support system or their support system don't know how to support that patient find it very difficult to come out through the other side. And so, you know, having an organization like this, that can be a sounding board that can provide insight um, and guidance on how to be supportive um, is, is powerful. And so... You know, that's that's one of the reasons why I think that, uh, you know, coming to a symposium like this and interacting with, you know, both patients, physicians and um, other advocates is really powerful. The really impressive thing is that information is available and the doctors, nurses and clinical people are very mm -hmm. anxious to help. You can see it in the faces of those attending a symposium like this. Yeah. Uh, they're really gladdened to see this kind of information sharing. Absolutely. And I think... You know, one of the things that breast cancer has done really well is market the importance of breast cancer and screening and getting yourself checked. History has shown that, um, you know, when it comes to prostate cancer, prostate cancer, that hasn't been the case, at least not as well as right. the advocacy groups for breast cancer. And organizations like this um, are really starting to, you know, put the pressure on not just, you know, physicians and, and uh, other advocates, but governments to really pay closer attention to the importance of breast um, prostate cancer and the importance of getting knowledge out there to the masses. Um, and it is great to see a lot of non-physicians here at the symposium, um, you know, lay people who are, are taking in this information and hopefully be able to disseminate that to their friends um, and, and really stressing the importance of, of prostate cancer and getting yourself checked. Well, thank you for your participation, Mark. It yeah. means a lot. Thank you, Jordan. Everyone in the coalition is very happy about the upcoming golf tournament Monday, June 17th at the Ferncroft Country Club in Danvers. Mark and his wife and the Goddard School once again sponsoring this golf tournament, and here he tells us why. What's great about this year's event is that the proceeds, and that proceeds from this event, are going to go to two fantastic groups, one being the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition, and the other being the Senator Ed Brook Scholarship Fund, helping uh, kids looking to go into college. We wanted to give back. The school did. Um, we've gotten a lot from this community, and we felt that these were two groups that 
could definitely benefit from our support. Find out how you can sign up and join the golf tournament on June 17th. Go to MassachusettsProstateCancerCoalition.org for all the details. At the symposium, there were several top medical specialists and doctors. One such is Dr. Jacques Carter, MD at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, who talked with us briefly about the issues surrounding PSA testing. Well, there are a lot of things in medicine that we do just because we think it ought to be done, and not necessarily because it's indicated for a particular medicine or whatever. We, we take medicines, we say, well, we're going to treat you with this medicine for arthritis, but it's going to help your heart. And it's not indicated, but it does work. Well, for PSA, the blood test got developed for following people who had prostate cancer and to monitor whether it came back or not. And because it was so good at doing that, it got put into normal screening, which is not a good thing to do because it's not that good a test for screening. We need better testing for screening than PSAs. We need more testing. We need other modalities to screen so we get more accurate numbers so we don't end up sort of biopsying a million people to get you know, 200,000 cases of prostate cancer. Yeah, you also mentioned what can affect a prostate uh, PSA test mm-hmm. if certain activities occur before the test. Right, right. Things that will affect it are inflammation, uh, infection, uh, trauma to the prostate, like riding a bike, sexual activity the day before will bump the numbers up half a point. For some people, that might be significant. If you're looking at some guy who's 3.7 and he has sex the night before and he comes in at 4.5, you might have sent him to the urologist when, in fact, he doesn't need to go. So I tell my patients who are coming back in to decrease those activities before they do the blood test. At the same time, uh, it is incumbent upon you and all of us to take action when needed. So is that a decision that every doctor needs to make based on those tests? Uh, I think so. I think doctors need to look at screening and the way we do it and uh, make up their minds. But I think that as long as there's controversy, as long as there's no, as long as the, the task force does not sort of line up and say either do it or don't do it, the doctor's going to take their picks about how to do it. At the symposium, I also met Mark Kennedy, Boston Public Health Commission, who gave a presentation on a relatively new program with the acronym PRECISE, Precision Care, Interventions, Screening, and Empowerment. He's very excited about the program and what it may mean for prostate cancer patients. The first thing to note is that it's what we're calling a consensus conference. So this allows us an opportunity to bring primary care docs together, begin to talk about what they're currently doing in terms of screening practices for prostate cancer. Let's talk about the things that we're learning from the community or our target population in terms of miscommunication, confusion, misunderstanding, preferences, things of that nature, and begin to think about how we can factor those things into sort of a new look, a new smarter strategic look for how we could administer uh, prostate cancer screening. Yeah, because you, you outlined a lot of the problems since 2012. Exactly. When the, the big study came out about testing and, and treatment or non-treatment. And just highlight those again for right. us, if you would. So, you're, first of all, talking about sort of a, a, a mispositioning, if you will, of, of what the PSA test actually is. A number of people associate and talk about PSA testing as something that diagnoses prostate cancer, and that's not the case, it's never been the case. So when you think about that, then you hear subsequent references to things like false positives. You begin to understand that the PSA test, in terms of its efficacy, could be better, but it's never been as bad as it was positioned to be because the dialogue was just completely a, a complete miscast of the test itself. Um, and you know, I, I think that's really one of the main things to talk about. But at the end of the day, we don't compensate for the fact that certain men are at higher levels of risk. 
men of color and men with a family history. It makes sense given that to think about an approach to screening that takes risk into proper account. Certain men should be screened differently than other men. We know that most men have what we call indolent disease. Why are we screening them? Why are we screening them every year? We should be screening them less often. We should be we should be using um, a risk-based baseline PSA test, which is screening before the age of 50, to determine which men need more frequent screening and which men need less frequent screening, and tailor the frequency and the, the interpretation of the results on an individual patient basis. That's what PRECISE is all about. And one more question for you, Mark. I know you have to run. What would be the way for us to track progress at PRECISE? Is there a web portal or is there information coming out regularly? How does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. We're literally just getting started, so those things aren't in play yet. But I'm imagining by the next time I talk to you, they'll have, <laughs> we'll have plenty of things to, uh, to talk to you about. Many organizations come together at a symposium like this to share ideas and objectives. Jamie Bierce is president and CEO of Zero, the End of Prostate Cancer, and we chatted about his mission. At Zero, our mission is right in our name, uh, to end prostate cancer, and we do that by advancing research, uh, encouraging action, and providing education and support to men and their families. Uh, By doing that, we advance research by fighting for increases in prostate cancer research funding at the federal government. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have specific focus on the Department of Defense. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but the DOD plays a pretty significant role in the war on cancer. There's actually about three dozen different uh, cancers. That are, um, that are funded through the DOD to be able to advance research. So we fight to increase prostate cancer research funding at the DOD, and we've been successful in doing that. Over the last eight years, we've been able to um, work with the DOD to be able to discover three treatments for advanced prostate cancer, as well as a tool to be able to determine if you have aggressive disease or benign disease and what treatments might work for you better than others. We um, encourage action from uh, Run Walk series that I'll, I'll talk to you more about in a, in a minute, but we're in 43 cities across the country from, from Boston to LA to Minneapolis to Miami. And um, we provide uh, education and support. Um, one of the, the programs that I'm most proud of is a program called Zero 360, which is a, a patient navigator program that's completely free for patients. So if there's a, a prostate cancer patient out there that is um, really struggling with their treatment and, and especially trying to make ends meet, like um, having some financial issues, like their insurance company might have told them, we're not gonna cover your treatment, or got a bill that you weren't expecting to get from your treatment, or you're looking at clinical trials and you need help, that's a, a program to reach out to. And like I said, it's all free to patients and we have a portal and a, and a phone number for that. Well, let's do this. Let's give the web address right now. I'll repeat it later, but how can people get in touch with you? Sure, go to zerocancer.org and you can learn more about prostate cancer there, um, find out about our programs, and, and also um, uh, register for our run walk that we have coming up in the fall in Newton. What men need to know is that there are organizations like this that are fighting for them and their families every day. I mean, there's been a lot of attention, thankfully, and, and very positively on, say, breast cancer awareness, but it seems as though prostate cancer awareness is starting to catch up. Yeah, starting to catch up. We, we still have a ways to go um, when it comes to, to women advocating for their own health. Um, we have great role models to look up to sure. um, and, and, a sport, and especially rely on, too, as, as, uh, as far as caregivers. Uh, I talk about all the time that uh, a guy at the doc- for every guy at the doctor's office, there's a woman behind him with a two-by-four to get, get them there. 
to, to make sure that they go in and get, uh, get tested for prostate cancer and to take care of themselves. Uh, but, but we are making, uh, making headway. And one more question about the organization. Are you looking for more input, volunteers, funding? Tell us about that. Absolutely. We, we need to be, speaking of uh, the Department of Defense, we, we need to be able to raise an army in order to be able to end prostate cancer. Uh, we need an army of advocates across the country in order to demand that prostate cancer is a, is a federal priority and to be able to, to raise awareness. Now, 99% of men survive prostate cancer if it's caught early. Um, that means that uh, you need to be um, you need to find you need to go through early detection to find it early. Uh, you need to be talking about risk awareness, like um, African Americans are at increased risk of uh, not only getting prostate cancer but dying from it. Those with a family history of the disease um, are also at greater risk from dying from it too. So to be able to spread that word and uh, to become what what we call as one of our zero champions, which is um, zero champion, will will do almost anything to be able to. Uh, help end prostate cancer and advance the cause. So reach out to us at, at, at zerocancer.org to, to get involved. Finally, I met with two wonderful men at the symposium who represent the ongoing support groups that are so vital in the lives of men with prostate cancer, Bill Tinney and Gary Halverson. I start with Bill. Why do support groups make such a difference? It's so special because it's a chance for the men to talk to other men who have been through this. They're not all at the same stage so they can get information from somebody who may have been in treatment for a variety of reasons, who's had uh, experience in dealing with doctors and places to go. It's also important for us to be able to understand where it's all going to lead us. And one guy helping another guy is sometimes better than all of the doctors who sit in almost pontificate we've been we've been there done that that's what it is and sometimes what i say with some of the i usually get the newly diagnosis men so the first thing you do you're at the shock because you just heard that you get the big c in in your life Mm. so sometimes it's automatically not what's going on below the waist below the belt Mm. it's what's going on above the shoulders and you got to get a hold of that before you can start making decisions what to do below the belt. Can I ask you, Gary, about your own experience with a support group for the first couple of times? What was that like? So it was frightening because I didn't want to talk about it. But men don't like to talk about a situation like this. It it talks about us, our manhood, etc. You don't want to talk about that with other men. And so for me... Uh, it, I was an, it was another mentor that was before me, a relative of mine, that had gone before a couple of months before me. And so that's how I got into it. And I was all ready to go in, into the meeting, into Boston for my first time. And I froze. Mm. I didn't want to go in there. I don't want to talk about this. I'm going back to the car. I'll see you later. And he grabbed me and pulled me in. And he put me in the right room. And I says, George... Do not leave me here by myself. Mm. And the room was already set up. Two men walked in in an open room like this. One sat beside me, 19 years old. And the other gentleman sat beside me. He set me up. The gentleman beside me was about the same age as me, going through the same symptoms as me. He was living in the house that my great aunt came to in this country 103 hmm. years early. This poor gentleman had bladder cancer. 
which resulted in prostate cancer. And I don't know if he's still with us mm-hmm. at this particular day. And I haven't stopped since. Bill, tell us a little bit about so many men who continue to go once they've been through treatment, once they're, they're past it all. It's paying forward. They may have a sentence or a paragraph or a five-minute conversation explaining how he dealt with incontinence and impotence. And those are the two big eyes that men find that they deal with after treatment. And there is not the amount of money spent on research or development that there is on finding a cure. And yet, in my mind, it's as important. The quality of life issues sometimes are not good. And let's face it, some of these things, they're so personal and so private, and yet you may not feel comfortable talking with your spouse about it. You may not feel talking with your children about it, but other guys who are going through it it makes it a lot easier. It's, It's... We only give first names, so it's pretty much anonymous. It's just being able to say what's bothering you in some instance. That's the reward for coming. And one more question for you, Gary. The reward I know you get out of all this is giving back, as Bill suggested. And there's a lot of research and a lot of common sense that says that really makes us those who give feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's like built in, I echo what Bill says, it's it's a men's club that no man wants to join. But once you're into this club, there's a camaraderie of what we're, why we're there. It's very simple for me. I open the door, I have the men talk to each other, just get them engaging and talk to each other. And then basically uh, close the door and put the lights out. Mm. It's all of us sharing our experiences, and like he said, exactly, it's painful. There was so much to see and do at this year's symposium, and 2020 symposium will likely offer even more. My thanks to all of our wonderful guests today. I invite you to stay tuned for future podcasts featuring valuable information and resources, the latest in research and treatment, and stories of real people who have challenged prostate cancer and won. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer Renew podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This is Jordan Rich wishing you a fabulous day.